0: Welcome to the John Campia Podcast, episode number forty-three, recorded Sunday, June the eighteenth, two thousand and seventeen. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the John Campia Podcast. Yes, I know it's uh, been a while, uh, but I have been a busy bug, as many of you guys know. But it's really good uh, to be back doing this. I. For the first time in a while, I had some free time this weekend, and I really wanted to sit back down and, and get the next episode of the podcast out. And um, you know, I'm just going to address uh, an elephant in the room. Um, the uh, as many of you who follow me on social media know, uh, one probably my best friend growing up um, back home in Canada, uh, the guy who introduced me to music, to getting involved in music, played my first bands with him. Um, anyway, uh, his name is Brendan. And, uh, Brendan, uh, passed away on Friday. And, uh, I'm not gonna lie to you. It's been kind of devastating. And, uh, today around the, uh, around the house, I've just been like been spontaneously crying off and on. And it's, it's, that's not normally me. That's not normally how I, how I function. And anyway, just so you guys know, uh, when it happened on Friday, I did let, uh, I let, uh, Friday or Saturday, I let collider and complex know that i was going to take some time off and uh i'm just going to give myself a few days but you know i thought you know sitting down doing a podcast you know just at home here where it's relaxed and not a lot of pressure was probably going to be a little bit therapeutic for me and i'm really glad to be doing that so and by the way thank you to all you guys who sent in well wishes and and things to me um uh on social media during this whole thing. it's uh, I really appreciate it. It's meant a great deal. All right. Now, with that out of the way, I wanted to talk about this news that broke today, this interview clip that came out with Kevin Feige and Amy Pascal. Now, of course, we're talking about the whole Venom is in the MCU kind of bomb that dropped today. So basically, for those of you who may not have heard about this, the basic thing is this. At a press junket, for Spider-Man Homecoming over in Europe. Kevin Feige and Sony's Amy Pascal were being interviewed together. And Amy Pascal said that the Venom, Black Cat and Silver Sable movies were all happening in an adjoining world to the world they are building with Spider-Man Homecoming, which is itself, of course, in the MCU. Now, this information goes completely against a lot of the comments that we heard coming out of the companies saying that before they've led us to believe that these, you know, the Venom movie was going to be in a standalone universe. Well, maybe not standalone, but would be in a universe with Black Cat with Silver Sable, but that would be an isolated universe from the MCU it would be something that Sony would be doing. Well, now apparently, according to these comments from Amy Pascal, it looks like that's not the case. It looks like they're going to be in the same universe in the same world. Now, the interviewer followed up with the, followed up with a question asking, does this mean Tom Holland could appear in the Venom or Silver Sable and Black Cat movie? And Amy Pascal said, it's possible. Anything is possible. Now, the funniest thing though has been a lot of people are also writing and commenting online and sharing memes and edited videos. You know, Kevin Feige, if you wanted to look at it a certain way, Kevin Feige has this look on his face that if you wanted to interpret it this way, kind of has a what the fuck are you talking about? Look on his face. Um, Now, great. Look, I want to make everybody aware of this, though. If you look at a lot of interviews when Kevin Feige is being interviewed with somebody else, when it's not just Kevin Feige by himself, he often has a very blank look on his face when the other person in the interview is being asked questions or they're talking, the interviewer is asking the other person questions. He often has a blank look on his face. I think it's because he's a very thoughtful person. He's probably listening very carefully to what the other people are saying and thinking about what he's going to say next when it comes back around to him. But I mean, even I can't deny that it does look a little bit like Kevin Feige has this lady, what the hell are you doing? Kind of look on his face when she's saying it. Look, I I clearly don't think that Amy Pascal was making something up or lying with Kevin Feige sitting right there. I'm pretty sure Marvel would have put out a statement about that by now. So I do happen to believe what she's saying. So this does raise some really interesting questions when you think about it. Okay. So, just consider this. It raises a couple of questions. First of all, with the Marvel and Sony deal and the, the status of that deal, because we all know that both Sony and Marvel have said that their deal ends after Homecoming 2. Not that that's what the movie's gonna be called, but they've already said their deal ends after that and that it hasn't been extended yet, although we all assume it's going to be extended at some point. It also raises a question about the rating of this Venom movie because i believe it was said before that this Venom movie was going to be rated R will it still be rated R if it's under if it's a part of the MCU is that something Marvel and Kevin Feige would allow okay so let's deal with the first question here about the status of the Marvel and Sony deal i have a feeling and again i'm just speculating here okay i have a feeling though Pascal talking about this thing about their shared universe, because remember, they've always kind of hinted at the fact and alluded that the the Venom stuff was going to be in a separate universe altogether. Now, all of a sudden, they're saying it's in a shared universe. Could this possibly mean that the Sony and Marvel deal has been extended? Could it mean that Sony and Marvel at least have, in principle, agreed to terms And then it's just inevitable now before they announce that the Marvel and Sony deal has been extended beyond the next standalone Spider-Man film. And from my point of view, I think it's true. I think that's what's happened. Again, I'm just speculating, but I do believe that this is a signal that if the deal's not completely signed, that it's at least in principle they've agreed to terms on extending this deal. And then maybe... Knowing that the deal is about to be extended, Amy Pascal felt comfortable in saying that, yeah, now these movies are going to be shared universe films, but we can all speculate about that. But like I said, the other question that comes up is the rating of Venom. Can it still be rated R? And I'm going to be honest with you. I know Kevin Feige made a comment uh, a week or two ago, basically saying, hey, you know, maybe someday we'd be open to R-rated Marvel films, but that's not really what we're looking at doing right now. Could it be possible that Marvel allows this Venom movie to be R-rated. Because look, you know me, I I, I don't really care most of the time if a movie's rated PG-13 or rated R. You can usually get away with enough stuff in PG-13 to still be true to stuff. But certain films like Deadpool, like the Logan film they just wanted to make, and absolutely a movie like Venom would really benefit from an R-rating. But I'm going to be honest with you, if this is true, and if the Venom movie is going to be in the MCU... If I had to put five bucks on it, my five bucks would be that Feige's not going to let that Venom movie be rated R. That, you know, Sony and Marvel will just have to agree that, okay, Venom can be in the MCU and that's great, but it's going to have to be PG-13 and they'll make it as hard of a PG-13 as they can. But I just don't see Marvel right now wanting to mess with their formula that has worked so very well financially for them, which is to not have R-rated films. Now, maybe, maybe the success of Logan and Deadpool and a lot of these other things is making Kevin Feige really reconsider and more importantly, Kevin Feige's bosses really reconsider that position. And maybe it's possible that they think, okay, you know what? Venom is going to be a Sony movie in the MCU, but it's Sony, they're producing it and it's going to be released under their banner. Maybe this is a good opportunity for us to dip our toe in the water of R-rated films. Let Sony do the Venom thing and let them make it R-rated and we'll say it's in the MCU. And But there's a little bit of a buffer. You see what I mean? Because even though they're saying Venom is going to be in the MCU, it's not really going to be tightly tied into the MCU. It doesn't sound like, at least at any rate, at this point. So there's a little bit of buffer. And maybe that little bit of buffer could give Marvel and Kevin Feige... The confidence to at least say, hey, let's test run this. Let's give this R-rated film a test drive kind of mentality. Let's let them do Venom rated R and see how it does. And if it doesn't work, we pull the plug on it. And if it works, great. We've got a whole new, you know, whole new doors and whole new sets of... Of avenues that we can go down when we're creating our films. Anyway, like I said, those are the two big questions to me. What does it mean for the status of the Marvel and Sony deal? And what does it mean for the rating of Venom? I would love to know what you guys think. Please fire me off a tweet at John Campia and let me know, where do you think this does this signal anything about the status of the Marvel and Sony deal? And do you think they will go ahead and make Venom rated R, Or will it get scaled back now to a PG-13 to fit more in line with the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I want to know what you guys have to think. All right. Now, with that out of the way, as you guys know, one of the things I like to really spend most of the time here on the John Campion Podcast doing is just taking the topics and questions that you guys give to me. I Now, make sure you follow me on Facebook at John Campion. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at John Campion, because that's usually where I go to ask for you guys to send in the questions. So let me go into it right now. First question comes from Owen Leonard Landing, who's writing to me and says, what is your favorite Ryan Gosling movie or performance? Ryan Gosling's a hell of an actor. Uh, whether you're looking at The Nice Guys, Crazy Stupid Love, um, a whole bunch of things. Obviously, he's got that brand new Blade Runner movie coming up right now that a lot of people are very excited about. I'm gonna say this. I think my favorite movie with Ryan Gosling is, uh, not La La Land. Uh, but I think my favorite movie with Ryan Gosling is probably The Nice Guys. Uh, that, that movie was just, killer entertaining to me. It was sharp. It was smart. It was fun. It had just this frantic pace to it that I just loved. And it was all carried by these two incredible performances by Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. It is directed by Shane Black, by the way, who's going to be directing the new Predators movie. Anyway, if you haven't seen this film yet, why the hell not? And it really is one of those films that really pisses me off because it did not do great at the box office. And Nice Guys, to me, has become the poster child movie for this particular complaint. Is this, is that I constantly get people, and I'm sure you guys hear this too, you constantly see people saying, Hollywood doesn't do anything original anymore. And then Hollywood puts out an incredibly fun, original, high quality film like Nice Guys, and people don't go see it. Now, Nice Guys ain't the only film that that happens to. It happens to a lot of high quality films, obviously, but this one just really stands out to me. Anyway, that's that. But I think my favorite performance of Ryan Gosling, even though it's not in what I consider to be his best film, his performance in Crazy Stupid Love that he was in with Steve Carell and Emma Stone was just... Just flat out incredible. He so gets you to buy into that character and you just hang on every word when the dude speaks. So yeah, my favorite movie with Ryan Gosling is probably um even more than uh, any other stuff, but it's I, more than La La Land and whatever. But I believe has got to be nice, guys. My favorite performance with him, though, is in Crazy Stupid Love. And maybe that'll change once the new uh, Blade Runner movie comes out. All right, our next question comes from Kevin Francis Berthound, who writes, Do you think the Spider-Man will get the black spider suit in Infinity War? No, I really don't. Um, I don't think that that's part of the plan. I don't think they've got Venom plans. I could be wrong about this. I'm, I don't know this for a fact. I'm, you just ask me if I think and I'm going to say, I don't think they will. I don't think that prior to extending the Marvel Sony deal and then prior to, you know, when they started production on Infinity War, I don't think they had any plans for Venom or the symbiote or anything like that. So I don't think that's what they're going to do, but you never know. It's the movies. Let's see what happens. All right, the next question comes to us from Jason Taylor, who writes, What is your favorite thing to do outside of Collider? Ah, oh, um, my favorite thing to do outside of Collider, besides the answer everybody would give, which is sex, uh, I think probably my favorite thing to do outside of Collider. Oh, come on, you were thinking it. This exactly, that's everybody's favorite thing to do. Don't look at me. Don't look at your radio or your podcast thing here cross eyed at me. You were thinking the same thing. Anyway. Uh, it's probably poker. I'm a, I'm a huge poker nut. I love playing poker. Um, actually, I'm gonna, I was just in Vegas playing in the World Series. I'm gonna go back to play, see if I can qualify high enough in one of the turns to maybe actually get into the main event. Uh, but yeah, poker is a huge hobby of mine. I enjoy it very much. It's one of the things, here's the thing. A lot of people play poker because it's super exciting and it is. A lot of play, people play poker because they're super competitive and that's certainly true with me. I'm a very competitive person. I love to compete. But honestly, And some people look at me strange when I say this. One of the reasons I love poker so much is that I find it incredibly relaxing. I just find it super relaxing. Like when I – I can go anywhere, you know, on weekends or when I have some time off and I'm constantly thinking about work. I'm always thinking about work. That's just the way my head works. But for whatever reason, when I'm in Vegas – anywhere in Vegas. But in particular, when I'm sitting at a poker table, I don't think about work and I'm just relaxed. And I'll I'll play a session of poker for 14, 16, 18 hours, whatever. And I'll just feel really relaxed doing it and uh, feel good about it. So anyway, yeah, that's what I love to do away from Collider. All right. The next question comes to us from Jeffrey Cack, who writes... Do you believe they will introduce Supergirl into Man of Steel 2 due to Wonder Woman? No, no, I, I really don't. Wonder Woman didn't work as a movie and work because it was female-led any more than Electra or Catwoman failed as movies because they were female-led. No, Wonder Woman worked because it's a really good movie that had an incredible director behind the helm making that film go. So, and, you know, the people in the studios are smart enough to know that. I think maybe what Wonder Woman will do is alleviate maybe the fear that some Hollywood executives had out there about doing female-driven, female-centered action films or comic book films. Maybe Wonder Woman alleviated their fears a bit, and now maybe they'll go ahead and do projects that maybe they were holding back on. But would they change? Like, for instance, would they look and go, oh my gosh, Wonder Woman worked. It's all because it's a female lead. Therefore, let's shove like other female characters in the movies. I just don't see that happening. Like I said, I don't believe Wonder Woman worked, because it was female driven any more than catwoman failed because it was female driven one was a good movie and that's why why it worked one was a bad movie and that's why it didn't work so no i don't think uh i don't think that's been in their plans for man of steel 2 one never knows absolutely anything is on the table anything is possible Joss Whedon now is over there at Warner Brothers, and maybe he's got something cooking his head. We know how much he loves doing female-led characters, female-led stories. I mean, so maybe that's a possibility. But as of right now, I don't think that's part of their thought process. All right, and the next question comes to us from Lucian Vin. Let me try that again, Lucian Ventilia, who writes, "Hey John, back in 2010 at the Academy Awards." How did the Academy decide that Catherine Bigelow was a better director than Kirk Cameron, Kirk Cameron, than James Cameron, Kirk Cameron. Yeah, that's that'd be a completely different question, wouldn't it? Well, okay. This is, this is a, a fair question. And it's, it's why, this is why an Academy award is the absolute hardest thing in the world to win. It is the absolute hardest thing in the world to win because the award, in particular, we're talking about the best director category. The award doesn't go to, oh, which one of these directors is the best director? The award is, who this year did the best job directing their film? Who this year did the best job directing their film? Now, if you were to sit back and say, who who's, and by the way, Catherine Bigelow is no joke. Catherine Bigelow is one hell of a director. And you can, her and James Cameron are very different kind of directors and they're exes, by the way, they're very different kinds of directors. But if you, if you want to go pound for pound, I mean, I mean, look, you can have a debate as to which one's the better director. I mean, yeah, most people supporting the James Cameron side. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I'm on that side too, but don't underestimate Catherine Bigelow and how good she is. But the important thing here is this, when they get the nominees together, they're not saying, who out of this group is the best director? That's not what they're asking. Because guess what? If they did ask that, James Cameron wouldn't have won either. Because you know who else was nominated that year? Quentin Tarantino for *Inglorious Bastards. Lee Daniels was nominated for his film Precious. And Jason Reitman was nominated for Up in the Air. Listen to that class. That 2010 Academy Awards Best Director class, Catherine Bigelow, James Cameron, Quentin Tarantino, Lee Daniels, Jason Reitman. It's an incredibly stacked year that was. So look, if you're going to ask, if they were asking the question, oh, just who's the best director? It probably should have gone to Quentin Tarantino. But that wasn't the question. The question was... Who did the best job this year directing their particular movie? And I'm going to be honest with you. I totally support the Catherine Bigelow pick that year. What she did with that material, with her locker, how it's paced, how it's timed, how it's shot, like how it like it unfolds from one scene to the next and how there's a really great narrative flow to it that just had an incredible pace. I'm telling you, I think Catherine Bigelow, and I love *Inglorious Bastards. I love Up in the Air. I love Precious. I really like Avatar. But, and I'm not even saying that her Locker was necessarily the best movie that year. But I do believe out of that class, Catherine Bigelow did the best job directing her particular movie than the other entrants did directing their particular movies. They all did great. They all did amazing. That's why they were nominated for Best Director. Be very clear about that. They're not asking who's the best director. In the best acting category, they're not asking who's the best actor here. No, no. They're always asking who did the best this particular year. And that's why it's so hard to win an Oscar, man. Because you can be one of the world's greatest actors, right? And everybody will know you're the world's greatest actor. But if you happen to give one of the best performances of your career, maybe one of the top five best performances of your career in a movie... Just when somebody else in another movie just happens to give the performance of their lifetime that just happens to edge out your performance in this one particular movie, you don't win the Oscar. I mean, it's a tough thing. So, yeah, I'm totally behind the Academy with the Catherine Bigelow win. I would have had no problem if James Cameron won. I would have had no problem if Quentin Tarantino or Lee Daniels or Jason Reitman had won. They all did incredible jobs, but I, I, I back the Catherine Bigelow selection. All right, we move on now to a question from Kyle McKessel, who writes... Based on the wildly popular reception they got, do you think that Hayden Christensen and Dennis Lawson will do more Star Wars-related appearances? I'm um, really interesting question, Kyle, because I like the fact that you didn't ask, can they appear in Star Wars movies again? The more interesting question, I think, will they make more appearances at Star Wars events? I mean, because, look, everyone, I'm one of the prequel haters. Um, Like, so, I mean, let's put that on the table. Everybody knows I don't like the prequels. I think they suck. If you like them, that's great. I celebrate that you like them. I'm glad that somebody's getting some enjoyment out of it. I think that's terrific. I'm not trying to poo-poo on you liking them. I'm just saying I don't like them. But, you know, even though I don't like the films, I think there's a lot that went into them, not you know, really not working. And I don't think Hayden Christensen's a bad actor any more than – I mean, obviously, Natalie Portman is an Academy Award-level actress, and she looked bad in those movies. So, it's not the actor. And I always felt bad – for guys like jake lloyd or hayden christensen in a case like this who bears kind of unfairly bears the brunt of a lot of the ire of fans who don't like the prequels and they'll and he's you know one of the lead guys in it, so they point at him and they go you you're you're part of the problem and whatever and and that's probably been very heavy for him and he's a good canadian kid so i felt i feel extremely bad for him i gotta tell you I felt really good for the dude. When we were all at Star Wars Celebration this year in Orlando, Florida, when Hayden Christensen got announced, the audience went nuts. They went nuts. And that made my heart feel so happy for the dude to see him come out and be received that warmly by the fan base. Because, you know, you know, in the world of social media, the guy probably gets catches a lot of crap online all the time. Maybe he maybe even stays off online because of that. I don't know. But for him to come out and get the reception that he got, I thought was terrific. And I hope it made him feel like a million bucks because he deserved it. So yeah, I I think maybe that experience might open him up more and make him feel more open to the idea of coming to other Star Wars events and and putting in an appearance. I hope it does at any rate. Dennis Lawson was a different situation. Dennis Lawson was in the original trilogy. He's in all three of the original trilogy films and people love him. But he has made comments over the years (laughs) Um, that has kind of disenfranchised him, if you want to say, from a lot of Star Wars fans that have put him on the outs with a lot of Star Wars fans. And I'm a huge Wedge Antilles. For those of you who don't know, Dennis Lawson plays Wedge Antilles. So, I'm a big Wedge Antilles fan. I'm a huge Wedge Antilles fan. I even read a lot of the, you know, um... A lot of the novel series that is now legend, it isn't part of canon anymore, but a lot of the Rogue Squadron stuff. So I'm a huge fan of the character. But even I got a little kind of, as a Star Wars fan, I got upset by some of his comments. But to see him come to Star Wars Celebration and to see him get on that stage and get the reception that he deserves and get worn, I hope that has, you know, rewarmed him up to the Star Wars fan base, both from the fan's point of view and from his point of view. And I would love, it, it just doesn't feel right that Wedge... The only pilot who is there for the destruction of both Death Stars, Uh, I mean, other than Chewbacca, I mean, it just, it doesn't feel right when you have Star Wars events and Star Wars community stuff going on and Wedge, Dennis Lawson, isn't there. That just feels, it doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? So i think it would be great and yeah i really do when you see the reception these guys both got i think it does open the door for them to show up at future uh, future events and uh let's just see what happens okay we got our next question here and this comes this is an interesting one this comes from jacob jerome who writes logan's casino scene or wonder woman's no man's land scene good question um both terrific scenes But I will say this, I thought the Logan casino scene was great, but I don't think it was even the best scene in the movie. I'll be honest with you. I don't even think the Logan casino scene is in the top three best scenes in the movie. It's a great scene. It's absolutely a great scene. The Wonder Woman No Man's Land scene, hands down, that scene was the crown jewel in the movie. That was the best scene in the movie and an incredible scene. One of the best scenes of the year, really, I, I, I think. Now, to me, it's... Absolutely no question. Logan is a better film than Wonder Woman. Just is. Obviously, some some of you guys listening may have a different opinion. Totally cool. But in my head, from my perspective, watching those movies, it, Wonder Woman doesn't come close. Very, very few films this year come close to Logan. It is, in my opinion, still the best film of the year. So to answer your question, you know, between the casino scene or the No Man's Land scene, I think the better scene is the Wonder Woman No Man's Land scene. I think that is the better scene. It's an incredible scene. It was the heart of that movie. But overall, I think Logan is the better film. I mean, I just from start to finish and just about every aspect, I thought Logan was the better movie. That's not to take away from how good Wonder Woman is. If you saw my review, you know, I enjoyed the film very much. I think it's a very good movie. But, uh, yeah, so I'll give the, I will give the tip of the hat to the No Man's Land scene as the better scene. This one's really interesting. This is a question I've seen popping around a lot on Twitter and Facebook and, and in various chat boards, but, uh, Sebastian Thrower asks, any thoughts on the internet's apparent mission to attack Colin Trevorrow at every turn because of Book of Henry's reception? Well, you know Colin Trevorrow, Trevorrow who is directing Episode Nine, Star Wars. He will be directing Star Wars Episode Nine. Uh, he directed Jurassic World, directed the incredible indie film uh, like Safety Not Guaranteed. Anyway, and Colin Trevorrow was just in the Collider offices the other day. He was in. We had Perry sit down, and talk to him about his new film, Book of Henry. At any rate, Book of Henry is not having a great reception uh people are not loving it i will pull it up right now here to see what i've i got here i'm gonna pull up rotten tomatoes here uh rotten tomatoes book of henry and i'm gonna see what it says here. okay right now book of henry has a 24 or 25 percent of rotten tomatoes so one out of every four critics like it three out of every four critics don't like it fine Now, I've seen Colin get some criticism online. I'll be honest with you. I don't see this mob you seem to be talking about. I I don't see the internet's mission to attack Colin Trevorrow. I I mean, I see some negative stuff around. Absolutely, I do. And I've seen people raise the question. Do you think – I've had people ask me, hey, John, do you think that Colin Trevorrow could be pulled from Star Wars Episode 9? Because of the reception Book of Henry is getting. And a lot of people trying to compare it to the Josh Trank situation. Remember, Josh Trank was supposed to direct that standalone Boba Fett movie. And then all of a sudden, at Star Wars Celebration a couple years ago, he didn't show up. They said it was because he was sick. But then a few days later, they announced he, they pulled him from the movie. And a lot of people try to compare the two situations. Look, let's just make this clear. The situation with Colin Trevorrow and Josh Trank are two totally different situations. Josh Trank wasn't pulled because people, because uh, Disney suddenly didn't think Josh Trank could direct. There was a whole bunch of controversy going on with a lot of allegations. A lot of the allegations weren't true by the way. But he was in the middle of a firestorm. It got Disney concerned and they decided to go in a different direction. I think it's unfortunate that they did that, but it was totally within their rights to do it. And uh, you know, I still love his movie Chronicle. I think Chronicle is a fabulous movie that that, uh, Landis wrote and he directed. I thought they did just an incredible job on that film. But this is a different situation. There's no controversy here. There's no allegations against Colin Trevorrow. Now, I haven't seen Book of Henry yet, I'm hearing it's not that good. Okay, he did safety not guaranteed. Amazing. He directed Jurassic World to be one of the biggest box office hits in history. And now he's done Book of Henry and it d- it didn't get received well. Guess what? Everybody has a bad day at the office. Even Steven Spielberg, the greatest director of all time, has the odd film here and there that ain't that great. I'm looking at you, The Terminal. Um so even even Steven Spielberg has a bad day at the office. There is no way I should never say no way because anything can happen, but I have a really hard time believing that Disney would be so so short-sighted that they would want to pull the plug on a Colin Trevorrow-directed Episode nine, which is with as far down the road as they are, with, you know, shooting already some stuff, you know, with all that being the case that, oh, people didn't quite like Book of Henry. We should pull the plug on this. What, like, safety not guaranteed all of a sudden disappears? The the phenomenal success of Jurassic World suddenly disappears? No, I don't think so. Look, it is unfortunate that he's put out a movie that not a lot of people are digging. Okay, that's going to happen. That's the movie business. That happens. But don't try to compare the Josh Trank situation to the Colin Trevorrow situation. They're radically different. Nobody's accusing Tre- Trevorrow of anything. He just got a movie out that didn't get so well received. And I don't think Sony's going to blink. I think they're very confident in him. I think they're very confident in what their plan is for episode nine. And everything's going to be just fine. Well, all right, guys, that will do it for me for this, finally, a new episode of the John Campion Podcast Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, guys, please remember, subscribe to my YouTube channel if you get a chance. It's at youtube.com slash John Campia. Make sure you're following me on Twitter and on Facebook, simply at John Campia. And hey, guys, over at Collider, we put out brand new episodes of Mailbag this weekend, both a Saturday edition and a Sunday edition. Make sure you guys go and check those out. Give them thumbs up as well. And that would be amazing. So again, thank you guys for all the love and support that you guys have sent me on, on uh, social media recently. It's really meant a lot. And we will be back again soon. And thanks a lot for joining me. I'm John Campia.